Hey everyone, this is Tim Harris. I'm the pastor of Woodburn Baptist Church and this is our weekly podcast. Hope it encourages you. Hope it makes you want to be closer to Jesus and more like him. Hope you enjoy this sermon. And if you want to know more about us, find us online at woodburnbaptist.org. I love Stadia. I love our partnership with Stadia. I don't really know another organization at all that does what Stadia does the way Stadia does it. And uh, our partnerships in church planting with Stadia have been very, very productive. We are partners with Stadia in our church plant in Casa Cancha, Peru. Uh, Hopefully, some of us will be able to go to Casa Cancha, if not this year, early next year, and meet our kids. We're sponsoring every kid in the village uh, so we can go meet those kids. That would be fantastic. City Church in Griffin, Georgia, uh, Creekside in Dallas, Georgia. Those are also church plants of ours partnered with Stadia and uh, really, really exciting, good work there. City Church has purchased land and about to build a building. Creekside is uh, already sponsoring their own church plant. So again, these, these guys are on fire and I love being a part of that. Open your Bibles to Daniel chapter seven. Daniel chapter seven. I want to preach a sermon that, that uh, honestly, I planned to preach uh, some time ago, and in my preparation for preaching, I have, uh, the sermon blew up in my face. Um, I've always heard preachers talk about the 400 years of silence, 400 years of silence. In every Christmas pageant, you know, often it begins, for 400 years of silence. It's this idea that there's 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament. 400 years before the end, between the end of the book of Malachi and the beginning of the Gospels with Matthew and John the Baptizer and all of that. So 400 years of silence. That sounded like something good to preach, so I put that on my preaching plan, and now here we are. Uh, Gosh, as I began to look at that. I'm not so sure about the 400 years of silence, you all. Uh, Like I say, it kind of blew up in my face in a good way. I like being able to learn things myself. I love being able to change my mind about things, and that's kind of what has happened as uh, as I've thought about the 400 years of silence. Let's talk about it. For me, uh, I turn to the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 7, because if you want to talk about those years between the Old Testament and the New Testament, one of the places where those years are uh, at least foreseen is in the prophecies of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 7, where we are this morning, Daniel receives a vision of what is for him the future, and that future is played out in what we call the 400 years of silence. So it seemed like a good place to start. I just come to conclusions that sometimes silence isn't silence. I know a family really well. Uh, they were a nice family. Two boys, uh, terrible divorce, terrible divorce. Um, it was such a nasty divorce. The, the mother was determined to make the boys hate their father, and she managed to do that for their lives. Uh, she turned them against their dad. Um, she would tell them, your dad doesn't send you, us any money. Your dad doesn't help. He doesn't care about you. He doesn't ever send me money to help. She would say that all the time. She would say, look here at your birthday, no, no, no card from your dad. Your dad must not care about you at all. I mean, she was always there to point out, hey, it's Christmas, no Christmas gifts from your dad. I guess he doesn't care about you. He did that, she did that for years, did that for years. One day, her oldest boy got old enough to go find his dad, and he decided to go find his dad, and he did. He wanted to ask him, and he did, dad, why did you never help mom? Why did you never send us money? Why did you never send a birthday card? Why never a Christmas present? Dad, where have you been? Why have you never 
tried to contact us. The father said, son, I want to show you something. He took him to the back room uh, under the bed, pulled out a gigantic box, opened it. It was every card, every check, every Christmas gift, every birthday present. He sent them all. She sent them all back. Boys never saw them, but he saved them for that moment, you know. He just always hoped that one day his sons would come back to him and he could show them, I was reaching out to you the whole time. So you understand, sometimes silence isn't silence, and we should pay attention to that. Daniel chapter 7, let's read. Uh, Again, Daniel's going to get this uh, amazing vision of the future here that God gives him. I, it's, it's, it's wild stuff, you guys. I just had four beasts. It, it sounds like you expect it to sound, but uh, I want you to listen and pay attention and uh, learn to understand where all this leads. Daniel chapter seven, verse one. As he sees a beast, understand the beasts are kingdoms, they're empires, they're presidents, they're potentates, they're rulers. We're talking about earthly powers coming and going, and Daniel sees them as beasts. I'll, I'll give you that clue and then we'll read. Daniel chapter seven, verse one. Earlier during the first year of King Belshazzar's reign in Babylon, Daniel had a dream and saw visions as he lay in his bed. He wrote down the dream and this is what he saw. In my vision that night, I, Daniel, saw a great storm churning the surface of a great sea with strong winds blowing from every direction. Then four huge beasts came up out of the water, each different from the others. The first beast It was like a lion with eagle's wings. As I watched, its wings were pulled off and it was left standing with its two hind feet on the ground like a human being. And it was given a human mind. Then I saw a second beast and it looked like a bear. It was rearing up on one side and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And I heard a voice saying to it, get up, devour the flesh of many people. Then the third of these strange beasts appeared and it looked like a leopard. It had four bird's wings on its back and it had four heads. Great authority was given to this beast. Then in my vision that night, I I saw a fourth beast, terrifying, dreadful, very strong. It devoured and crushed its victims with huge iron teeth and trampled their remains beneath its feet. It was different from any of the other beasts and it had 10 horns. As I was looking at the horns, suddenly another small horn appeared among them. Three of the first horns were torn out by the roots to make room for it. This little horn had eyes like human eyes and a mouth that was boasting arrogantly. I watched. The thrones were put in place. And the ancient one sat down to judge, his clothing white as snow, his hair like purest wool. He sat on a fiery throne with wheels of blazing fire, and a river of fire was pouring out, flowing from his presence. Millions of angels ministered to him. Many millions stood to attend him. Then the court began its session, and the books were opened. I continued to watch because I could hear the little horn's boastful speech. I kept watching until the fourth beast was killed and its body was destroyed by fire. Other three beasts had their authority taken from them, but they were allowed to live a little while longer. As my vision continued that night, 
I saw someone like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient one and was led into his presence. He was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. Did y'all get all that? Um. Probably in this room, there are at least two kinds of people. First off, we have the people who love history. Let me see your hands. History lovers? Man, a lot of y'all nerds loving history. Uh, oh, my goodness. I, I love a lot of stuff. In college, man, history, man, Western Civ, I hated that class so bad. Um, I just, every day, I, I, I go in that class, just want to jump out the window. It's terrible. Uh, it's just all those dates. I can't remember when anything happened. You know those old people that say like, yeah, I was back in the flood of 37 and I will never be that old man. My grandchildren will never know when anything happened. I can't tell them. It all runs together. Everything runs together. All the rulers and presidents and kingdoms. Now I'm an artist. I like art history. Now I like church history, kind of, but I'm telling you, history, history, whew, it's, I don't care that much for it. My grandfather loved history. He loved history. My grandfather, when he's telling you something like a fishing story, he would want to somehow connect that story to whoever was president at the time. But he couldn't do it. And so one day at a restaurant, he, he got this placemat, like this paper placemat with all the presidents. And my grandfather thought that was the greatest thing ever, a placemat from Jerry's. And so my grandfather took a paper placemat with the presidents and framed it and put it on the wall. So that when he's trying to tell you when he caught that largemouth bass, he could go back to the wall, look and come back and tell you that was when Eisenhower was president. I mean, he loved that. He loved the years. He loved all of that. Oh my goodness, I could, I could do without most of that. Um, and, and that's what brings us to this passage today. It's about history. The, the beasts are kingdoms of the world and, and rulers and and some of you, man, you can't get enough of that. You love that. I mean, some of you, if I would stay late, you talk all day long about like the lion with eagle's wings. Who was that? What nation was that? How come he had his wings plucked off and got dropped on the beach like a man? What's all that mean? Who is the bear with three ribs hanging out of his mouth? You know, who's the ten horns and then the three horns and then the little horn? Who's got the big mouth? Like, who are who are these nations? What's going on? What's the story? Tell me the dates. Uh, most of us are probably somewhere in, in between. Um, I love it. Not so much for the history of it. I love it because it's the word of God. And I love how it's history told in advance. Like it's history for us. Everything, most everything that Daniel sees here is future for him and past for us, which is what makes it amazing. We can look back now and we can see how everything that God showed him happened in miraculous detail. One of the kings, actually it's that little, little horn with the big mouth. Daniel has a lot to say about him throughout the rest of his book. He describes this ruler so in such incredible detail that there's almost no question he's talking about a, a ruler named Antiochus Epiphanes we all know that's who he's talking about because he does everything but say his name 
He describes his wickedness, his evil, the, the abomination of desolation. I mean, he describes all of this in such perfect detail that some people say, well, that, you know, obviously Daniel didn't write that because somebody later had to have known Antiochus Epiphanes and wrote that because you couldn't possibly write that unless you'd lived it. But that's what I'm telling you. It is a vision. It's history, but it's told in advance. It's God showing Daniel what's going to happen, and that's not actually that big a deal to God. God doesn't live in history like we do. He's not anchored in time like we are. God, his thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways, and he does not experience time. He's not locked into it. I've told you before, it's kind of like a parade. If you went to the Franklin Christmas Parade last night, okay, remember that. Because a parade is an interesting kind of thing to observe. How do you watch one? Well, you have to stand on the street in one spot and watch it come by. The parade will pass by you. That's how parades work. It will come past you. And you stand where you are and you watch things one at a time. Here comes a float. There goes another float. Here goes a pageant queen in a car. And here comes Santa Claus. You know, it's just one thing at a time, and that's how parades work, and that's how you watch them, because you don't have another option. You can't see the parade any other way. You just have to stand there and watch it go by. But God is not like you, and when it comes to history, God isn't standing there watching it all go by. God is in no suspense over who's going to be the next president. You understand? God is not in any sort of mystery because he already sees. And because he sees, he knows. So it's almost like God is up above, able to look down, and he can see the whole parade. He can see the whole parade from beginning to end. He can see the beginning. He can see the end. He can see everything along the way. And he sees it all at once. You understand? God's in eternity. Doesn't have to wait to see what comes next. He already knows. And so for that reason, it is not a heavy lift for God to show Daniel a little bit of what's going to happen. God already knows, and now Daniel knows, and Daniel tells us. So Daniel has this insight into the end of the world. Not just the end of the world, but like some of the things that will happen between now and then. Some of the kingdoms that will rise and fall. He sees four. Four beasts, four kingdoms, four rulers. I think that's amazing. It's kind of interesting because for one thing, even in Daniel's day, there was more than four. And then, since then, there's been a whole lot more than four. I mean, it's these four, and in one sense, they're all the same. I mean, they're really kind of all the same. I think that's part of what the scripture's showing you. They're all just beasts, and they rise and they fall, and, and it often looks like one is worse than the one that came before it. I mean, it's not a very optimistic view of human history and its empires, but it raises questions. I mean, some of you, you got so many questions. You read the book of Revelation, for example, and you just got more questions than you started with. You know, And some of you read Daniel 7, it's like, Pastor Tim, you're going, I hope you're going to explain that. I've got questions. Like one of your questions would be, is one of these the United States? Like, is one of these us? I mean, if you're going to tell the story of, of like forever, all the way up from the kingdoms of the world, all the way to Jesus's kingdom, surely you're going to have a chapter that's going to be the United States of America. Well, what if we don't? I mean, spoiler alert, I don't really think one of these is us. And further spoiler alert, I don't think... The Bible mentions the United States of America one time. Not one time. I don't know what that means. I mean, like I say, it raises questions. 
It could be, I mean, I hate to ruin it for you, and I love our country, I love our great country, but I'm telling you, maybe we're not as important as we thought. Maybe we're not the big deal that we thought. And, and maybe, you know, I mean, we're still a very young country. These empires that Daniel sees rising and falling, they lasted for centuries. We've only been around about 200 years. What if we're not going to be around when Jesus comes? You understand, there's no guarantee that our nation's still here when Jesus comes. Nations rise and nations fall, and we're just one of the nations. What if we're not here when what if we're not here when Santa Claus comes? I mean, you understand, there's no guarantee. So there are just so many questions and so many things I wonder, and how long is it gonna be, and how much time? And, and, and let me just share this one little thing with you. God does not reveal all the things we like to know about the future. He just doesn't. He doesn't. And I know it bugs you. It bugs a lot of people. Now, here's the thing. You find the right preacher, and he'll be able to answer your questions. I've known preachers that could take the book, Daniel chapter 7, which is about, you know, this long, and they can write you a whole book. They could write you a whole book. As a matter of fact, if that one sells well, they can write a sequel. They can write, an, there are guys who can write a whole series of books on the second coming of Jesus. You want to know the funny part? Everything we know about the second coming of Jesus is in this one book. It's all we have. It's all we get to know. It's in here. It's the only place to know anything at all. And then if you get serious about it, there's not that much in the Bible about the end times. There's not much at all. So that's just telling you, if somebody can take the little bit that's in this book and then they can write you a whole book, I promise you they made stuff up. I promise you they made stuff up. And if they can come back and write a series of books, they made up a whole lot of stuff. Nobody gets to know more than the Bible. Nobody gets to know more than God reveals. And as it turns out, God didn't reveal everything that we'd like to know. Does not answer every question, but I'm telling you, he reveals everything we need to know. Everything he wants us to know. It's all here, and he wants you to know certain things. So what is it that you need to know? Back in the day, Chip and Tracy Jenkins, church members of, of, our, of our congregation, Chip and Tracy used to have their own business. It was called Horton Homes, and they sold manufactured homes out by the parkway. It's not there anymore, but it used to be there. Chip and Tracy sold manufactured homes, and with that, they, stole, they sold storm shelters. Storm shelters. And they had one storm shelter that was always out by the road up on this big platform. Anybody remember that? It was a big like fiberglass egg, only it wasn't egg-shaped. It was a perfect circle. It was actually pretty interesting. And it was up on this platform with steps so you could go up and look down in it so they could sell it to you, right? It was a storm shelter. Now, I would assume that everybody driving by would understand that's going to be an underground storm shelter. You know what I mean? That's underground. You're going to buy the big egg. You're going to bury it. And then when the siren sounds, you and your family, you're going to go get in your shelter. You're going to close the door, you know, and you're going to be safe. That's how storm shelters work. But Chip says one day this lady stopped by to buy a storm shelter. She was terrified of tornadoes. He didn't even really have to sell it. She was already buying it. Because she was scared to death of tornadoes, and still Chip showed it to her. He walked her out there, took her up the steps, let her look down in it. He told her, when the siren sounds, you and your family, y'all come out. You get inside this shelter, 
You close the door when the storm's over, you come out. I mean, you don't have to sell it. She's already buying it. She's terrified of tornadoes. But she said, I do have one question. Chip said, what's your question? She said, when the storm is over, how will I know where I am? Chip said, pardon? She said, when the storm is over, how am I going to know where I'll be? Y'all understand? When I said I thought everybody driving by knew that was an underground shelter, she didn't know that was an underground shelter. She thought that you just get in it, close the door, and then roll around in the storm. Like roll around, and then when the storm is over, you open the door and and pop out in California. The funny thing is, she was going to buy that. Like, she was, she was going to buy that thinking that. that It was just going to roll around, you know. Uh, I love that. Here's the thing. Um, God reveals everything you need to know about the end. And so here's what you need to know. Um, storm's coming. It's going to be a storm. It's going to be rough. I know that living in the United States, we really haven't ever had hard times, so we can't imagine hard times. And if we ever had a hard time, we'd think it was the end of the world, but Jesus says, no, no, it's gonna be hard times come. If you watch the procession of history in the book of Daniel, it, it, it just goes from bad to worse. Everything that rises up is worse than what came before. And I think that's kind of the pattern you should expect. There's gonna be a storm and it's gonna get worse much worse before it gets better. That's just the pattern of scripture. Isn't that not the way the world works? I mean, it's all gonna get much worse. So the storm is coming, but understand you will have a shelter. If you belong to Jesus, you will have a shelter. And I promise you when it's all over, you know where you will be. You will be at his feet. Everything ends at the feet of Jesus. Daniel chapter seven, everything ends at the feet of Jesus. You got these kingdoms rising and falling, these beasts, these monsters, these presidents and potentates who come up and they strut and they speak out of arrogance. They speak out of ignorance. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, at the end of one of these days, God just steps out and the throne comes out. I mean, that's what he says. The throne's put in place and God sits down to judge. And I'm telling you, it's all over. Human history is over. All those kings, all those empires, all of them, it's all over. They stand before him. And then what happens? The son of man steps out, Jesus steps out, and he is given all authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. Do you understand? Jesus has final control of history. Everything ends at his feet. He holds everything in his hands. He is Lord over all of it, and he's the only one worthy of that. Now, lots of kings, lots of queens, lots of rulers have had power through the centuries, but understand, none of them were worthy of it. None of them were worthy of it, and no human being will ever be worthy of that kind of power. Jesus alone is worthy, and what makes him worthy? He's worthy because he's good. Jesus demonstrates that he uses power and glory and honor and authority, not for himself, but for the sake of saving you. He knows how to do everything for the sake of others, for the sake of love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Everything Jesus has done is for others. It's for us. It's for you. So understand. Jesus will have final control over history, which also means this. If he's worthy to control every race, nation, 
and language, and you better believe he's worthy to control you. That's hard for some of us. I mean, some of you, you've heard this before, you've heard the gospel before, but you still think that you're gonna somehow get through this life and not have to deal with Jesus. I'm telling you, you will not get out of this life without dealing with Jesus. If you don't deal with him now, you're still gonna stand before him in the end. And if you won't bow before him now, you better understand, you will bow before him then. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I'm not just telling you a Bible verse. I'm telling you a future moment in your life. You'll stand before him. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's in control. So what makes you think he can't manage your life? He's worthy and he's good. Surrender to him. So four beasts, right? Four beasts. Uh, first beast was like a lion with eagle's wings, he says in verse four. As I watched, its wings were pulled off and it was left standing with its two hind feet on the ground like a human being and it was given a human mind. If you've read the book of Daniel, that one's not even hard. You know that's Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. So at that point, Daniel's not even seeing something in the future. He's seeing like the present. He knows Nebuchadnezzar. He knows the kingdom of Babylon. That's where he's a captive. So that one's not hard. It's pretty easy to identify that with Babylon. And I saw a second beast look like a bear. It was rearing up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. Heard a voice saying, get up, devour the flesh of many people. That's probably the Medes or the Persians. Persian empire that took the place of the Babylonian empire. Most likely the Medes or the Persians. But it's hard. It's hard to know for sure. Then the third of these strange beasts appeared and it looked like a leopard. It had four birds, wings on its back. It had four heads. Great authority was given to this beast. That's probably Greece. Probably Greece for the simple reason of that repetition of four. Remember, Alexander the Great was a great conqueror. When Alexander died, the, the empire was divided into four parts and divided up against one of each of his four generals. So Greece is divided into four. The leopard has four heads. It makes sense to me. Then that fourth beast, terrifying, dreadful, and very strong, it devoured and crushed its victims with huge iron teeth. I'm not a history person, but I'm a science fiction person. And this one, I love this iron teeth because that's like robo-beast, you know? Like all of a sudden, this, this iron monster comes out with horns, 10 horns. It's, it's most likely Rome, the Roman Empire. And then what follows that little horn with eyes and a big mouth, that's gotta be Antiochus Epiphanes. And that's future. So part of what Daniel sees is past, most of what he sees is future, and I just think it's amazing. It's all absolutely amazing. And then with that, at the end of all this, he sees the coming of the Son of Man, the coming of Jesus, and everything given to Jesus, and everything ending at Jesus' feet. And while all the other kingdoms would rise and fall, and all the other rulers would rise and then perish, Jesus' kingdom never ends. His kingdom will never be destroyed. I mean, it's this amazing picture of the kingdom of Christ. But there's a whole lot of time between Antiochus Epiphanes and Jesus Christ. Something like 400 years. Now, Daniel sees what would happen in those 400 years. I mean, we understand all of that, but why 400 years? I mean, I don't necessarily go with the preachers who say there were 400 years of silence, but there was 400 years of something. What took so long? between the promise and the fulfillment, 
my wife told me that I needed to take the umbrella on the patio, which we have out there in the summer. I need to take it to the barn because it's winter. Now, when Casey said do that, I said, I will do that, honey. I will do that. See, I promised her I would do it. What's she thinking? Probably I'll do that before next summer. <laughs> you know? In other words, we expect, you know, between promise and you know, fulfillment, we kind of expect there to be a very, you know, if you stand around too long, I get the idea you're not really serious. And so much of what Jesus does, I mean, literally everything the Lord does, it just seems to leave us waiting. If, if the Old Testament is so full of these promise that the Messiah would come, why does it take so long for Jesus to come? Galatians chapter four, verse four, has this amazing phrase, When the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman. It's this phrase right here, the fullness of time. When the time had fully come. As I've said, God is not captive to time. He's not limited by time. He doesn't experience time the way we do. But still, in the fulfillment of that promise to send Jesus, there, there was this necessity that the time be right, that the time be full. There was a reason to wait. It's a woman named Stella Thornhope, real name, real person. Stella Thornhope um, lost her husband in the middle of the year. Uh, so it was Christmas, close to Christmas, and Stella was in bad shape. Uh, she didn't really have family, and she didn't really have anybody but her husband. They were just that couple. They loved each other so much, and he loved her, and she loved him. And she was just the loneliest, uh, most lonesome soul in the world. And she was miserable because it was Christmas. You know how that is. At Christmas, you miss people more than any other time. And unless you've lost somebody and really grieved, you won't understand this perhaps. But Stella, she thought Christmas would kill her. Like she wasn't sure she could live through the loneliness, the emptiness, the grief, the long, dark days. She just wasn't sure she could do it. So her plan was just to close the door. And she obviously wasn't putting on any Christmas decorations, nothing. Just sort of pretend like it wasn't happening. Avoid people cry from now till March, you know, avoid it. But one day, um, doorbell rang, and there was a delivery guy, like, on the porch. Understand, Stella hadn't ordered anything. She's not that kind of girl. And um, she didn't know anybody who would send her anything. I mean, I know the Amazon guy lives at your porch, but he never, ever had a reason to go to Stella's. And so he was on her porch, um, said, I have a delivery. Are you, are you Miss Thornhope? And she said, yes, I am. And he said, I need your signature. She says, what is it? He said, it's a delivery for you. And she, you know, drew her name across the screen and said, what is it? And he said, well, you should open it. It wasn't your typical box, you know, all taped up and all that. It was just a box and it was, you know, the flaps were just folded. And so all you had to do is lift the flap. So she lifted the flap. There's a yellow Labrador retriever puppy, a yellow lab puppy. They're the cutest puppies in the world, are they not? We can argue about that, but I'm right. They are the cutest, <laughs> cutest puppy. I mean, little yellow lab, it was just the cutest thing. And it popped out of the box and started rolling across the porch. You know, just a puppy, this amazing puppy. And so I just said, who sent me a dog? Who sent me a dog? The delivery person said, I don't, I don't know all the details, ma'am, but here's an envelope. I think it has all the information you need to know. And then he also gave her this book, you know, how to care for your yellow Labrador retriever, like how to care for your dog. And she's just like, I don't understand. Who sent me this? 
the boy said, Mr. Thornhill, I don't, I don't know the whole story. I just know that this dog, this puppy was purchased in July while its mother was still pregnant. Someone bought one of these puppies while it was still with its mother. I know that it was born six weeks ago. It's six weeks old. I know it's a boy, and I know that it's fully house trained. She said, I don't understand who sent me this. The man looked back at her and said, Miss Thornhope, it's from your husband. So she opens the envelope and she reads it. Her husband, that, that man, before he died, just weeks before he died, he went to the kennel and he found a pregnant dog who would be having puppies, you know, right, kind of right for Christmas, but maybe about six weeks out, you know, so that the puppy could be ready for adoption, the puppy could be house trained. Made all of those arrangements and had the delivery arranged and then wrote her the letter and he just said, honey, I, I know you're lonesome. I know this is a terrible Christmas for you. I want you to be strong. I want you to live your life and love life. And I want you to remember that I'll see you. We'll be together again because of Jesus. But between now and then, I know you'll be lonesome. So here's a puppy. <laughs> he just wanted her to get the puppy right there. And so understand that gift was perfectly timed. And I mean, that man thought that through. It's the last thing he could do for her, and he did it right, you know? Perfectly timed. That, that gift was right on time, and so was Jesus. So was Jesus. I, I can't explain to you everything that happens in that time between the promise and the fulfillment. All that I know is that the time was right. All that I know is that, I, I, other than, among other things I don't know, is I can't change slides again. So can you help me one more slide? Can you, can you go forward with me? All that I know here is that God always knows what time it is. Which is to say, if 400 years goes by, for us it seems like a long time. We wonder, what is God thinking? What is God doing? But I'm telling you, God always knows what time it is. He's not limited by time, and he's not driven by time, but he does things with precision. Everything God does is perfect. Everything that God does is precisely timed. And everything that God does is with a purpose. Understand? So God always knows what time it is. He doesn't waste time. So 400 years goes by, you can't be saying, what were you doing up there? You know? I mean, so much of what you're wanting God to do in your life, it seems like you have to wait. And you wonder, why is he making me wait? Why doesn't he just do what I want when I want him to do it? But understand, God sees what you don't see. He sees everything that you don't see. He sees the entire world from beginning to end. He understands the timing of things. He doesn't waste time. He's always on time. And he's never late. So when we say that it's 400 years between prophecy and fulfillment, understand, Jesus was not late. It was the fullness of time. It was the perfect moment. It was the right time. And God always knows exactly when to do the right thing at the right time. God knows what he's doing. So next time the preacher says there were 400 years of silence, I want you to think about that. What's he saying? Okay, well, probably what he means is there's the Old Testament book of Malachi, which we read with the candle lighting today. The Old Testament book of Malachi that talks about the coming Messiah. And then that's the end of the Old Testament right there. That's the end. Like that's the last of the Old Testament. And we don't get anything else. We don't get another Bible book until sometime later with the Gospels when John the Baptizer appears. And the preacher's right. There's about 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament. About 400 years it takes. But that does not mean it's 400 years of silence. 
It doesn't mean that. It just means it's 400 years without a new book in the Bible. Now, I don't mean, you know, to be dumb, but like the last book of the Bible we have is Revelation, and we haven't had a new book in the Bible in 2,000 years. Are you trying to tell me you think God's not speaking? You think God's not involved? God's not reaching out? God's not continuing to control this entire world and take it to the end that he has planned? Do you think for a moment God's not active? There's not even going to be another book in the Bible. I can tell you that the Bible is closed, but God's mouth continues to speak. God speaks. God continues to speak through the word that we have. God continues to speak through the Holy Spirit. God speaks to us now through his son, Jesus, who came to reveal to us the fullness of the Father. God speaks to us through his people, the church. God speaks to us through the circumstances of our lives. God is speaking. God is always speaking. God has never been silent. It's like the boy that goes up to his father and says, Dad, why haven't I heard from you in my entire life? And the father says, let me show you something. Box of every card, every letter, every gift. There was never a moment in that boy's life when his father wasn't reaching out to him. Sometimes it looks like silence. It may feel like silence, but uh, with the Lord, he is never silent. There's never a moment of your life when his eyes weren't focused on you and you were not the absolute direction of all of his affection and attention. Never a moment when he wasn't speaking to you, even now, speaking to you. So for us, um, the question is never, is God speaking or is God going to speak to me? That's never the question. God is speaking. He's always been speaking. He'll continue to speak to you. Y'all know what the question is, right? (laughs) Will you listen? God speaks, speaking right now. Are you listening? Pray with me.